Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Speak today to John Reed, Chief Market Strategist for the World Gold Council. We talk about gold and why people should be investing in physical gold. He brings up four points. Uh, it's an enhanced portfolio performer. Uh, it's liquid. It's also diversification like no other. And of course, it's a source of returns. He also encourages you to go to the World Gold Council website, uh, to the Gold Hub, and try out their gold evaluation framework tool. It allows you to put key inputs in and determine where you think gold's going to go this year. Enjoy the podcast. John, how are you doing, sir? Very well, thank you. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, you are Chief Market Strategist for the World Gold Council. So what do you do and what does the Gold Council do? Well, the World Gold Council is uh, a market development organisation for the gold mining industry. We're owned by 26, I think it is, uh, mining companies around the world. Uh, some of the largest and most important mining companies uh, are our members. And, and our job is to uh, increase the visibility of gold, specifically for investors. Ideally, we would like most investors to have a portion of gold in their portfolio. Uh, my job as chief market strategist is um, to, to take the messages that are produced in the research team, which report to me, uh, and to speak to investors to persuade them of the merits of, of holding gold in a portfolio. Okay, fantastic. And I think we would recommend that people go to, and we'll put a link below, uh, for your website. It's a lot of useful information, a lot of useful reports, um, and I think there's a, a deep catalogue of those as well. Look, what I want to talk to you about today is that we um, have been speaking to a lot of sort of uh, macroeconomists over the past few weeks and months. Uh, it seems it's all doom and gloom, and one of the things they keep saying is that gold should be part of anyone's portfolio. And then I guess there's a number of ways to hold gold. So I want to talk to you today, maybe even a bit of role play. So I'm an investor. I do uh, invest in a multitude of different uh, sectors, verticals, um, and I've never really considered gold other than holding equities in gold companies. So, can we? Do you mind if we discuss that? You know, maybe maybe start with the with the with the macro first of all, in terms of what um, is going on out there. What's do you have a view of the the macroeconomics and you know how gold fits into that? We don't produce economic forecasts for the world. Um, what we certainly do is we consume other people's economic forecasts for the world and we use that to sort of help think about the way that, that, that economies and markets might de uh, deliver or perform in the future. I guess there's two points I'd really like to talk about. One is which, one of which is the strategic case for owning gold and the reasons why pretty much all investors should have gold in their portfolio all the time. Um, we can talk a little bit about the the outlook for for gold uh, and the gold market and other markets perhaps at the end. But I'd start off by talking about the strategic case for gold, because I could have made this I could have had this conversation three years ago or four years in the future. It's a strategic argument, which I struggle to pronounce sometimes, which is probably a bit of a failing. Uh, but it's a strategic argument, uh, which which is evergreen, and it really comes down to. Uh, a very few number of, of, of simple points. The first is about returns. Gold has been a source of returns uh, over the last 10 years, over the last 20 years, 
and since 1971, when gold was was uh, uncoupled from the from the dollar, those returns have been similar to or better than most other asset classes. Certainly over the longer period. If I look since 1971, for example, average returns for gold have been just over 10 percent. Average returns for U.S. stocks over that period have been about 11 or 12 percent. Similarly, over a 20-year period, it's been better uh, than U.S. equities. Um, emerging market stocks outperformed gold over that period, but only just. And then over the last 10 years, of course, we've had a huge bull market in U.S. equities, which have done particularly well. Gold still delivered average returns of about 5%, just under. So it's been a source of returns for portfolios all the time, not just during financial crises, not just during periods of inflation or deflation, but pretty much throughout. Okay, but it, it says it says to me that you need to believe in the gold thematic as as a long term hold. I mean, people, you can't dip in and out of this. You've got to say, I, I want it as part of my portfolio, but I'm going to have to hold this. Um, the, you know, obviously, it, it is liquid. Should you need to, but you, the, the thinking is a long term investment, is it? Certainly, a long term investment. It should be a part of your portfolio all the time. Now, of course, you can flex up or flex down your holdings based on a, a tactical view of where we are in the economic cycle. Uh, and perhaps, as I say, we can talk about that a bit later. But the argument here is it should be in your portfolio. Uh, pretty much every portfolio benefits from having gold in it. Now, we've spoken about returns. There's a couple of other points to make as well, one of which is the diversification argument. Um, gold is generally uncorrelated um, to other asset classes, particularly equities. And the uncorrelated nature of it uh, means that it's a good diversifier. But there's more to it than that as well. We've broken down, and I say all this research is available on our website, Gold Hub, for free. And I do recommend that you, you download it because it will go into far more detail than I can. But when we looked um, at the returns uh, and, the, and the correlation of gold, as I say, compared to U.S. equities, normally uncorrelated. But if you look at what happens when, uh, when U.S. equities fall sharply, so in other words, they're down by more than two standard deviations um, in, uh, in a week, that correlation of gold moves quite negative. So in other words, you're negatively correlated to something that's falling quite quickly. And similarly, when, when equities are going up sharply, um, gold is actually mod modestly positively correlated uh, to equities. So when it's going up, you get a positive correlation. When it's falling fast, you get a negative correlation. Uh, and that flip over of correlations that takes place under different scenarios is extremely rare. We've looked at pretty much every other asset that you could put into a portfolio to diversify. And with the exception of silver, which is well, more volatile, less liquid, and correlates quite closely to gold. Gold's the only asset that actually demonstrates this, this, this flip over. So that combination of returns plus diversification that works when you really need it has a really interesting impact on your portfolio. Typically, adding gold to a, to a portfolio uh, increases the risk-adjusted return. So in other words, you get more return uh, per unit of volatility. And that's, that's a great attribute to place into a portfolio. Okay, and you're not advocating it, you know, any certain percentage. You're just saying it you perhaps should be considered as part of the portfolio. Well, there's a, you know, the answer to that is complex. People often ask me, how much gold should I have? And, and the answer would be, well, it depends. It depends what else you've got in your portfolio, to be frank. Work we've done suggests that the more risk 
And if you think of equities as being the principal risk component that you have in your portfolio, the higher proportion of equities you have in your portfolio versus, say, fixed income or real estate, uh, the higher the proportion of, of risky equities, the higher the proportion of gold you should have to offset that. And the reason there is, is that gold is a better diversifier of equity risk than it is, say, a fixed income risk. It still is, but it's a much better diversifier of equity. So the more equities you have, the higher the weighting of gold you should have. And most portfolios come in at somewhere between 4 and 10% allocation to gold when you do a, a, an optimization study. It's, it's quite interesting, actually. It, it, I think people are feeling slightly more nervous in this current environment. And like I said, we've had lots of conversations with macro economists, and I know you don't necessarily want to comment on that per se, but um, where all this quantitative easing, it's creating, you know, everything that you own is becoming devalued. And your investments right now um, are becoming worth less uh, as, as a result of this. And we've, we've got this invest, investor club and we're speaking to one of our, we, we'd like to talk to and interview our, our club members. And what I'm saying, he switched 30% of his equities into physical gold. Now, I think that's quite extreme. But nevertheless, it's kind of indicative of the sorts of conversations that we've been having recently, and 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 the old adage that you know gold being a safe, you know safe harbor, and in times like this, or you know what may become, is is true, um, and probably has been true for about thirty three thousand years. But um, what what's I mean, even on a personal basis, what, what's your what's your take on on the way people are viewing gold now, as opposed to you know two three years ago? Yeah, it, it, we've certainly seen a pickup in interest. We've seen a pickup in interest in gold investment in a number of ways. And that goes from bar and coin demand in Western Europe and in North America, where we've seen a big jump in coin sales in the States and a lot more interest in uh, in gold bar buying, probably from, uh, from investors such as the one that you've mentioned. We've also seen institutional interest in, uh, in gold coming through. And that, that that's usually reflected in a, well, there's a couple of ways, one of which is exchange-traded funds, uh, another is actually buying physical gold and holding it uh, with a bank, perhaps in an allocated account, a bit like a safety deposit box. So one of the things that we do uh, at the World Gold Council and the research team is we uh, track the, the inflows into exchange-traded funds on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, we produce a nice monthly report on it, and I often uh, tweet or blog on, on the trends that are going on. And certainly, we've seen a big pickup uh, in, in inflows into, uh, into physically backed ETFs in, in, uh, you know, over the course of this year. Okay, well, let's, let's segue slightly. I did want to get on to um, you know, the, the liquid market, as it were, and yeah. also you know, coming back to enhanced portfolio um, performance. But let's talk about the different ways people can view gold, access gold, invest in, in, in gold. Um, so obviously, we've, we've talked a little bit about physical there. Can we just talk precisely how people can do that? You, you mentioned coins, but there's bars, ingots, and so forth. So, Sure. I mean, I, and it depends, again, which market you're in. Uh, and, I, and I know that your subscribers are, are from various different markets, but to be frank, in most most markets around the world, you can find a place where you buy physical bars and coins. Um, it's not the cheapest way of buying gold. You're probably going to pay the, the, the minimum sort of premium over the OTC gold price is probably 3%. And for a coin, that could be as much as 7 
Um, and when you sell it back, you probably get the gold price at best and not even, you know, potentially even a discount. But for people that are really concerned about systemic financial risk, they're worried about the security of the banking system, they're worried about even gold in safety deposit boxes or in allocated accounts, this is sometimes uh, the choice that they choose to make. Um, and, and it's interesting. It's one of the things that I, that I keep an eye on is to see not only how much gold is being bought in investment, but in what types. And when you see physical bar and coin uh, demand in the West picking up, you can see that people are really worried about the future. If you see people investing in futures, uh, and there's a big futures market in the States called the COMEX futures market, which is part of the CME, you see futures market investors or speculators playing there, you know they're trying to profit from the gold price. ETFs are probably somewhere in between. So those are three of the methods. Now, we've spoken about bar and coin demand. Exchange-traded funds, which were pioneered by the World Gold Council uh, back in the early 2000s, uh, we, uh, we also are sponsors of the largest one, which is, the, is GLD or the SPDR GLD in the United States. Um, and we've ha- we, we have others. And there's a, there's a whole plethora of funds out there, probably about 80 now in our database in most major markets uh, around the world. These allow investors to buy uh, an instrument whose only assets are gold. So in other words, you're buying units uh, issued by a trust which physically own gold, owns gold, uh, held in a vault. Uh, that gold is, is, is audited. It's not lent out. It's in an allocated account. So it's as safe a structure as can be put together but the advantage of an ETF is you can buy it in your uh, stocks and shares portfolio. They're listed on stock exchanges, uh, and the management fee for the products varies from, I think the lowest is 17 basis points per annum, uh, and there are some up at the 50 basis points per annum. So um, lots of different market listed, uh, all in the end, the same underlying exposure, which is to physical gold. Uh, and compared to, to some funds, uh, as I say, that's that's a reasonably cheap way of doing it. Futures markets, uh, and they exist principally in the United States, although there are other uh, around the world, including Shanghai, which is big and growing now. Futures markets uh, allow investors to, to access gold in a different way. Futures um, obviously allow you to buy gold with, with leverage um, and margin. It's a, it's a more complicated way of accessing the market, and it's not for everybody. But certainly there are, there are large liquid gold futures markets around the world that people can access it to. It's, it's quite interesting times at the moment. I mean, you've, you've been through a few cycles and you, you've seen, seen a few things, I suggest. But um, we have been having conversations recently with people like uh, Peter Grosskopf, uh, CEO of Sprott. You know, he's, he's a big digital gold uh, fan, so effectively gold, gold, gold backed. Um, we've seen companies who are printing gold notes. So gold between, yes, it's true, gold uh, between you know, laminate sheets, but at a nano, printed at a nano level, so people can look, collect them as a, like, like a coin, like a coin, or they're suggesting that they would like to see these you know, actually physically traded. And if you look at the Bank of Ghana, they're actually um, in the process of printing some of these gold Notes, and I don't know if it's a novelty or if these sorts of things happen every cycle, every time gold um, goes up. I mean, what sort of things have you seen in the past in terms of people trying to take well, advantage the of the situation? Thing, the funniest things that I've seen um, have been gold business cards. 
Uh, it was a Japanese trading house. I can't remember which one it was now. This was in the uh, in the 1980s uh, that issued uh, to its, ex its executives gold business cards. Now, not gold-plated, solid gold business cards, which they would hand out very selectively to their uh, to their most important relationships. And I, I think, from memory, every every exec every top executive got a hundred business cards to. Uh, I, uh, to have that. I think I've just worked um, out what they were doing there. <laughs> <laughs> so to be honest, um, every bull market in gold, every time where gold has regained uh, its its tactical allure uh, to investors, we see this sort of innovation. And it's generally very good. Um, um, there was, uh, I think the last time around, I saw... Um, yeah, I think it, was, it must have been 30 or 50 gram wafers of gold, which you could snap off uh, into one gram units. So one of the criticisms sometimes about owning physical gold is, you know, you've got a 50 gram bar or a one ounce bar. What do you do with it? I mean, no one's going to give you change. Well, you can break it up and give it into in small pieces when you're trying to buy your whatever you're trying to buy in extremis. So I, I think this, this sort of innovation is very typical. Um, I hadn't come across the laminated gold sheet uh, or the gold notes. I think that's a really interesting idea. I mean, look, what I would say is, you know, you have to be really careful from whom you buy physical gold. Um, and as soon as you laminate it and put it through two sheets, then I wouldn't be necessarily confident about what's in there unless I bought it from an organization which I really trust. Uh, I'd also be very careful about premium. Uh, the premium that you pay over the spot price, to me, is an important determiner uh, of whether you should be getting involved or not. Uh, and in the end, you can buy one ounce gold gold coins at probably five, six percent premium to gold. That's probably about the cheapest you're going to be able to get relatively small units of, uh, of investment gold. I would be surprised if those laminated nano printed things aren't trading at tens or even hundreds of a percent premium to the underlying but as i say i hadn't come across them before but i certainly shall look into them. i should well i'll send you the i'll send you the details and, they, they, and you know to your point they come in uh, different denominations you know so you can hold as low as three dollars up to 150 dollars i think uh certainly for the u.s components that they're looking at I, I guess their biggest challenge is going to be understanding and distribution in the market um but that's for another day uh, <laughs> equities lovely equities yes. now most gold producers have seen a uh, an uptick in you know where you know because of the gold price, which had been sitting at about twelve fifty for so long. You know, last August started rising up to around seventeen hundred at the moment. Um, everyone's benefiting, cash is flowing, and increase their optionality in the marketplace. But as in, as investors, we see and quite often see these sort of quite sensationalist headlines of gold going to X number usually three five ten thousand bucks and i'm not going to i'm not going to talk to you about what your guesstimates are i know you stay away from such sensationalism but it's it does suck people in and to, people do have to take a view on um, gold as, as a thesis um, most people the predominantly people invest in equities because it's it's slightly easier to understand those guys are digging uh underground there's gold under there they tell us how they're going to get it and how much it's going to cost i'm in um are you seeing? Um, are you, are you, what, what's, what's your view on equities as an investment? Because we had E.B. Tucker on the other day, who was telling us that ETFs and equities are dead. Physical gold's the only way ahead. Um, do you still see a role for equities in the market? 
I'd have to qualify what I say here is that we don't study gold equities closely. That's not part of our mandate. We're actually into the gold market. Mm. I am somebody who started his career underground with a shovel working in the gold mines in South Africa. Uh, I've been a gold equity analyst. I've been a fund manager. In fact, I've been in gold in one way or another for 35 years. Um, so I have I have seen all, all different aspects of the, uh, of the industry. The thing, the difference between gold and gold equities is that when you're buying something which is physical gold or, or backed by gold like an ETF, you're getting exposure to the gold price and certain credit risks aside, you know what you're getting. You buy a gold mining company, you're getting exposure to gold, but you're getting a lot more as well. In theory, you're getting leveraged exposure to gold because these gold companies produce gold at, at, a, at a cost of maybe $1,000 or $1,200 an ounce. The gold price is $1,700 an ounce. Uh, if the gold price goes up, their margins expand by more than just the gold price going up. So you're getting leverage there. You're getting exposure to exploration success. Um, all gold mining companies look for more gold, either it's at their own operations or, or at exploration projects. And you, know, you can hit it lucky and somebody can discover the next El Dorado. Um, and, uh, and that does happen. And so investment success can be a big part of, uh, of, of the performance of a gold mining stock as well. But you've said it yourself, you've got to dig it out of the ground. And as a mining engineer and as an investor in, uh, uh, in gold stocks previously, let me tell you, there are risks involved in that. Uh, and those risks can be technical, they can be geological, they're often political. Um, so often gold mining takes places in countries that are, are not developed countries. But then again, in developed countries, it can be very difficult to get an environmental permit to develop a mine. So there's all manner of additional <coughs> pros, potentially, and cons behind investing in gold equities. So I leave gold equity investment um, and the comments on individual gold stocks to people that are employed um, to do exactly that. All I would say is that gold price is only one component um, of the potential returns that you get in gold equities. And... I think, look, I think a lot of money can be made in, in, in gold equities. And if you look at previous cycles, gold shares have performed really well under certain circumstances. But uh, that's not really our area of focus. And I know this is probably also not because it's, it's equities in a way, but it's a de-risked equities, is gold royalties. Um, mm. Again, people, people are viewing those in very sort of similar terms to the ETFs in a way. Well, um, gold royalty companies have been great success stories uh, over the last couple of cycles. And, uh, and there's lots of merit in the arguments of what they do, particularly the diversification. One of the good things about them is that they're generally exposed to lots of different producing uh, gold mining companies. Um, but it fits pretty much into the same category, as far as I'm concerned, uh, as, as gold equities, in that it's not something that we're experts upon. Okay, okay. Um, can I just talk about, you, you mentioned earlier that gold outperforms broad-based uh, commodity indices generally generally yes over, over time um yes can we talk about because i do want people to come to your website i do want if you are interested in investing in gold you, you've got to go to the world gold council website okay it's you know very robust data but can we talk about the way that you go about measuring this data you know in fact in fact how how are you remunerated who gives you money to exist how does it work? Well, we're, we're owned by the gold mining companies. They, they formed us, I think, now 33 or 34 years ago. Yeah. And, uh, and they're there to, uh, and they, uh, sorry, and they, um, they sponsored us on the basis of the, the, the amount of gold that they produced. 
So for each ounce of gold that they produced, they gave us a certain amount of money and uh, to, to fund us to develop the gold market. And uh, you know, times have moved on. I mentioned before that we were instrumental in bringing the exchange-traded funds, uh, gold-backed exchange-traded funds to the market. And because uh, we were involved in uh, the, the management of, uh, of two of the big exchange-traded funds, um, we get some revenue from there as well. So we're no longer wholly dependent on contributions from members. We, it's a mixture of the two. So it is unbiased uh, research, unbiased, not necessarily advice, but um, information on gold market. Are, sure. are you in any, any way influenced by outside groups to push gold um, when perhaps you shouldn't be? Well, let's put it this way. Um, I've got a, when I joined the World Gold Council three years ago, I've been in this industry for 32 years. Uh, the, only, the only reason I joined here, or the, the sort of number one condition that I had when I joined the World Gold Council is that I would be allowed to be um, objective. And when you're producing data about gold demand uh, and gold supply and what's happening and what's happening in various markets, you know, there's no point producing data when it's made up. You have to be objective. And I'll give you an example. Um, we came out with our uh, gold demand trends uh, report, which is a quarterly report we produce uh, looking at, at, at uh, primarily demand, but also a little bit on supply. So we came out with our first quarter gold demand trends number. And, and I'm just looking through the headlines here. I've, I've got the report up from, uh, uh, from Gold Hub. Um, the pandemic slashed jewelry demand as governments across the globe imposed lockdown measures. Demand fell to the lowest on record, a 65% decline in China. We're not trying to sugarcoat uh, what happens in the market. There are good things that happen. There are bad things that happen in terms of our data and our analysis on this. We are objective as we can be. Okay. Now, that you've actually hit upon the next question, which was traditionally, um, I, I used to, when I was banking, did a lot of business in India. India and China, both huge gold consumers yes. on, on jewellery and as a means of, of saving. It's, it's kind of, um, I think, it, when, when there's a bull market, people go, oh, what, you know, what, what, why go to the antiquated measure of hoarding, you know, small amounts of gold under your mattress at home? Uh, and then times like times when times are a little bit tougher, or what people suspect may be coming down the line. Um, it's it's in vogue again. It's absolutely in vogue again. But as you say, so China's been affected on the jewelry market, as as has India. Um, is, is, do you think that is going to after we get through this kind of COVID lockdown period, it's going to be a resurgence of buying again? Are we going to get back to the norms of before? Eventually, I expect, um, depending on where the price is, but it won't necessarily be quickly. If you think about what happened in the first quarter, we had China going into lockdown first because that's where the virus seemed to affect um, first. Um, so the China market was affected most in the first quarter. And now we're seeing the Chinese economy coming out of lockdown and, and jewelry demand is, uh, has, well, has, has improved from a very low level, but it's not growing rapidly at the moment. In fact, I'd argue that if you compare it to other aspects of the Chinese economy, it's lagging somewhat. So, it, you know, I expect, I expect sequential improvements there, but I don't care how fast it improves. 2020 will be a poor year for Chinese jewellery. In the case of India, first quarter wasn't great anyway, and the lockdown mostly will affect the second quarter. I mean, I was talking to our managing director in Mumbai um, you know, earlier today on a, on a weekly call we have. And, uh, and you know, he says, yes, the, the Indian economy is uh, opening up again. But again, we're not expecting um, a very rapid increase or very rapid 
recovery in, in, in jewelry demand uh, from India and China. And in fact, if you look across the numbers for the entire world, I think there was one country that actually showed year-on-year improvements in jewelry demand in, 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 uh, in the first quarter. And that's for very technical reasons for something that was happening last year. So it's not going to be a strong year for, ju- for jewelry. But in a way, this is one of the advantages of the gold market. Uh, many commodity markets are one-trick ponies. So they genuinely are boom to bust. I was going to use other mining expressions then, but I probably shouldn't. Um, things go very, very well because of demand for auto catalysts and petrol cars. And I'm thinking palladium here. Um, so that, that goes off to the moon. And then there's a switch over towards more diesel vehicles that took place. And, uh, and then suddenly palladium is out of favor and it crashes back again. So um, there are a, a, lot of, um, a lot of commodities, indeed a lot of assets, which, which are dependent upon a very narrow range of drivers. Gold's much more balanced. You've got investment demand. You've got jewelry demand, you've got central bank demand, you've got technology demand. So, you know, pretty much every electronic good that you have has gold in it in some forms or another. And and the big two, investment and jewelry, they tend to vie for dominance depending on what's going on in the world. So jewelry demand, very much driven by economic growth, prosperity, particularly in the emerging markets that really uh, drive gold demand. So historically, India now over the last few years, more so China. But you, you name the countries, uh, Turkey, Indonesia, lots of lots of, uh, 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 of demand coming from there. Investment demand is more Western centric in general. We, we're seeing development of investment markets in, in some emerging markets, but generally speaking, it's a it's a Western phenomenon. Uh, and that tends to do well when economic growth is weaker. And so the fact that jewelry demand has collapsed at the moment uh, partly because of the uh, uh, the coronavirus, partly because of the, the rapid increase in the price, that's absolutely normal. Gold's being driven up by investment and speculation, so that's come to the fore and become the dominant market. Now, we will come out of this current coronavirus crisis. It might take a few years for the global economy to recapture the levels that it saw back in 2019, um, but it will re- it will recover. I'm sure these viruses will eventually be brought under control, either by vaccines or drugs or, or, or whatever. At that stage, I would expect to see investment demand as the component of the total decline, and jewelry demand picking up again. So very much, you know, what what I'm talking. You you know when investment demand is weak because I spend a lot of time talking about what's going on in the Indian. Uh, and the Chinese physical markets. And you'll know uh, when jewellery demand's weak because I'm talking about ETF inflows and bar and coin buying in the West. It's a really simple question coming up, okay, <laughs> which you've probably had. They can, be, they can be quite hard to answer. Okay, so how do we value gold? This, it doesn't really perform a function. It's used in some electronics, as, as is silver, and silver's used in solar panels as well. But you've got all these wonderful... Uh, commodities like you know palladium and nickel and lithium and graphite going to be used to kind of drive our world this this electric vehicle revolution we're going to hopefully see at some point in the near future but but gold doesn't really have a function other than people wearing it as as, as jewelry on the whole so how does the market value gold why is it 1700 bucks today why why is it the most traded commodity outside of uh, you know oil well, first of all, uh, I mean, the simple answer to your question is, is that gold is $1,700 an ounce or thereabouts, um, because that's the the intersection between supply and demand. That, that's the market price for it. Um, 
how does one put a theoretical value on gold? Well, that, that's a different argument. First of all, I would slightly disagree. I say, look, 7% of demand typically uh, for gold goes into uh, industrial applications with primarily electronics. So it is an essential component um, of, uh, it's an essential component of, of 21st century life. And ironically, for all the, uh, the focus on platinum and palladium and, and their industrial applications, more gold in tonnage terms is used in industrial applications each year than either, in either platinum or palladium. So it, it, it is important. Admittedly, 93% of demand isn't in industrial applications, but typically about 50% of demand goes in, in, into jewellery. And again, that's a very much an intersection between what people think it's worth um, when they go uh, and buy uh, and buy gold to wear or to or to give as a gift. I think the investment side is important too. Um, gold has a historic store of value that dates back. I always get in trouble for this. I, I mistweeted uh, something. Uh, I think it's in the order of about five thousand years since the first evidence of gold being valued as something you know beautiful and and, and valuable. Uh, and we've seen coins um, in existence uh, or coins or tokens for I think at least three thousand years. So it's been around a long time. If we look at, um, at how the supply and demand intersect in the gold market and what drives them we've been able to build effectively a quantitative model which tries to predict the components of demand and also the impacts of supply as well uh, and, and what that should mean for gold depending on the macroeconomic variables you put into it so as a uh, on a section of our website gold hub we have the gold valuation framework and the t internet tool that we've developed called quorum uh, which allows investors to stick in their assumptions for factors like economic growth, currencies, credit spreads, etc. And it will tell you roughly um, what you should expect to see in terms of all the components of demand. And that should give you, based on your inputs, an expected return for gold, both in the short term, but also in the long term as well. Now, we've done this to answer your precise question that, that you said. A simple question sometimes requires a complicated answer. So we spent about three years looking at all of the drivers of all the components of, uh, of gold supply and demand, putting them together into this valuation framework. And it's there to answer two questions, really. It's like, well, number one, how do you value gold? And number two, what sort of return should I put into my asset allocation model for gold? Historically, people have struggled with that. Um, at best, they've said it might hold this value in the long term, and you put in zero real. Um, depending on the assumptions that you put into the valuation framework, uh, the quorum tool will tell you that long-term expected re uh, return of gold will be greater than zero. And, and as I say, it depends on your assumptions. Um, now, that's proved a really interesting piece of work that we've done. It's allowed us to engage with, uh, uh, with institutional investors and particularly asset allocators to make the case why you should think about putting gold into your portfolio. So not just on looking at historic price performance and historic relationships, but a uh, a mathematical model which they can tear down, they can look at themselves with macroeconomic variables that they are already using in their other work and that they can say, all right, fine, we'll put those in here. How much should we expect gold to return over the long term? I love that it's taken three years to put together an answer to a basic question. That's fantastic. Well, it's taken three years 
since we've even started to think about ways we could answer the question, we've been asked that question for much longer than three years. <laughs> well, and I, but I like it. I want you know. I think people need to understand it's okay to ask the simple questions because sometimes they are the hardest to answer and they are the best mm. answers to know. So that's fantastic. Look, John, I, I've taken up enough of your time today. That's been a wonderful introduction for us and some of our viewers to the World Gold Council and some of the facilities available to them and information available to them. We'd love to have you back on and drill down on, on a few other topics we discussed just before we uh, went on air. Um, so appreciate your time and uh, thank you again. Thank you very much. It was a re really interesting conversation. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.